Good to see everybody. This evening we're going to be studying tonight about things pertaining to the Lord's Supper. And I've put up 1 Corinthians chapter 11 as our starting point tonight. We're going to read through, I guess, more or less the second half of this 11th chapter of Paul's first letter to those in Corinth because he addresses a number of things about the Lord's Supper as he attempts to correct them regarding some errors they were making in its observance. Specifically this evening we're going to think about some of the doctrines that exist uh, even amongst those that would claim to be part of Christ's church, who say that when partaking of the Lord's Supper that we must use one central cup, and we all have to drink from that one same physical cup. And we're also going to look at another opinion or idea that some have held to, and that being that we should only offer the Lord's Supper once on the Lord's Day, that to offer it a second time uh, for an evening service, such as what we have done here tonight, uh, would be inappropriate somehow. And so we obviously want to remove our own opinions from the matter. We want to look at just what the Scriptures would teach as being correct as we consider these two ideas. So we're going to begin, like I said, reading through this passage and then obviously making some reference to things that are in that chapter as we go through and look at some specific points. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we're going to start in verse 17. Paul says, Now in giving these instructions, I do not praise you, referencing what he's about to say, since you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and in part I believe it. For there must also be factions among you that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. Now they thought it was. They thought that's what they were doing, but he's going to explain to them why it's not the case. He says, For in eating, verse 21, each one takes his own supper ahead of others, and then one is still hungry and another is drunk or full. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or you, do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. 
This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup, for he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself. And what does it mean to drink or eat in an unworthy manner? Well, he explains that there in verse 29. He says, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you. Many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. But if anyone's hungry, let him eat at home, lest you come together for judgment. And the rest I will set in order when I come. So, one of the biggest problems that they had here in Corinth was they had turned this memorial into just a, a regular feast, we might say. They were coming together just to have a, a meal together, and they weren't thinking about what the bread or the fruit of the vine was meant to cause them to remember. They weren't thinking about uh, the body and blood of Christ, but they were just getting full. And then there were some who were not getting enough. And so there were all these divisions. And we can see how far they had strayed from what Christ intended this supper to be. So let's think about our first question. Should we only use one cup? Now, I'd like us to also note the gospel accounts of the institution of the Lord's Supper. Matthew's is found in chapter 26, and starting in verse 26, it says there that as they were eating, Jesus took bread, he blessed and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take and eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them and said, Drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So there, as you read the text in Matthew, uh, certainly we see that Christ told them to all drink from this cup, which was representative of his blood that was about to be shed for them. So we might say, well, maybe these guys are on to something who have this idea that we all need to drink from the same cup. Let's look over at Mark's account as well. In Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14, verse 22. Reads very similarly to Matthew's. 
But he says, as they were eating, Jesus took bread, he blessed and broke it, gave it to them, told them, take and eat, this is my body. He took the cup. When he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. So there again, maybe these one cup proponents are, are on to something here. He said to them, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. Assuredly, I say, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And again, Mark likewise records that they had sung a hymn and went out to the Mount of Olives. So, should we only use one cup as we would partake today of the Lord's Supper? Well, one thing that we have to understand and keep in mind is that often in the Scriptures, and really in everyday speech, we use what is known as metonymy. And that is where we'll use a noun in place of another noun uh, when the two are in close association with each other. And so, really the problem with this doctrine or this teaching that we have to use one cup, I believe is a misunderstanding of where the emphasis lied in what Jesus was talking about. Now, what are some examples of metonymy? Uh, you've heard somebody say, maybe not so much anymore these days, but used to be we put the kettle on to boil, right? Well, did we mean that the kettle itself is going to boil? Well, no, we, we're talking about what's inside the kettle, right? We're going to boil the water, but yet those two nouns are so closely related that we speak of them also, almost synonymously. We're going to give the baby a bottle. Is the baby going to gnaw on the bottle and, and eat that for food? Well, no, we understand what we mean that the baby is going to consume what's inside the bottle, right? I think it's a very similar thing with the cup. Jesus was not emphasizing the container, but rather what was contained inside. The fruit of the vine, that in and of itself being the thing that causes us to remember the blood that he shed for us. Now let's go over here to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, and look at verse 20 there. Now this is Luke's account of these things. Luke says there in verse 20, Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. Now think about that for a minute. Again, if we're talking literally about this cup, was Jesus going to shed that cup? Well, no. He, he's talking about his blood. He's talking about what is contained in that cup, isn't he? Now, again, let's come back here to Matthew 26. And let's read again here verse 29. Notice, Jesus says, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine... From now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So we see here, as we look at these things, that what Jesus was emphasizing, what he was really talking about, was the fruit of the vine. 
And that is what was to be partaken of, not the actual cup itself. The actual cup was not what was important. Now we might ask the question, why not one loaf? If we're going to go with this one cup idea, we all have to drink out of the same physical container as we partake of the fruit of the vine. Why, why would we not have one piece of unleavened bread that we all have to bite off of or break a piece off of? I mean, that, that's logical to follow through with that kind of thinking, right? Well, let's come back over to Luke again. Let's come back to Luke 22. And we can see the answer to that. Luke chapter 22, verse 19. Now this here talks about Jesus taking the bread. He gave thanks, and what did he do? He, he broke the bread, didn't he? In other words, he divided it for them to each have their own piece to partake of. So he broke it, he gave it to them, and again explains that this is to be a memorial to his body, which was broken for them. Now, what I want us to notice here in what Luke records for us is that the cup was likewise, that's the word that is used, divided. Now, we read verse 20 a moment ago, but notice just after Luke has explained that he took the bread and he broke it, he divided it, as he talks about the cup, he says, likewise, he also took the cup after supper. In other words, that would suggest that he did the same thing with that, right? He divided it up for each of them to have a portion. Now, jump back up to verses 17 and 18 there. Verse 17 says, he took the cup and gave thanks and said, take this and divide it, notice that, among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. So we see here, Luke makes it pretty plain, doesn't he? Uh, they divided this up. They each had a portion. Uh, it had nothing to do with the containers, but rather what was being partaken of. That is what was stressed and what we have to understand is important. So the idea of emphasizing the container is something that I believe is akin to a misunderstanding or a misplaced emphasis on what the scriptures are revealing to us in regards to this memorial supper. Now the second question that we had posed for consideration, should we offer the Lord's Supper on Sunday evening to those who were otherwise unable to attend a morning service in which the supper was observed. I want us to begin answering this question by thinking about what is specified in regards to partaking of the Lord's Supper. What are the things that we know for sure have to be met as requirements if we're going to partake in a way that is worthy, in a way that is scriptural? Well, we know what has to be partaken of, right? And we've, we've kind of touched on that in talking about this previous question. We know it has to be unleavened bread. We know it has to be the fruit of the vine, right? And that's made plain in virtually every gospel account and also in Paul's recap in 1 Corinthians 11. 
So we know what needs to be partaken of. That's important. Where? Where is the Lord's Supper to be partaken of? Well, 1 Corinthians 11, again, to go back to that context, uh, where were they to do this? Well, it was when they came together as the church, right? It wasn't something that they were to do individually on their own time, uh, whenever they felt it was appropriate. It was something that the church collectively did when they were assembled together. We see that from the context of 1 Corinthians 11. When? Now, is there a specific time given? Well, we know that it was to be on a particular day, right? We go to Acts chapter 20 and verse 7. It tells us there that on the first day of the week, they had gathered together to break bread, a terminology that was frequently used. We see it throughout the New Testament in reference to the partaking of this memorial. They had gathered together to observe that memorial. Paul preached to them at that time, and that was on the first day of the week. Now, it doesn't say at 10 a.m. on the first day of the week. It doesn't say at 6 p.m. It just says it was the first day of the week. So, as long as we are meeting these criteria, we're doing what the Lord requested us to do, aren't we? Now. The next point that we're going to make in regards to why I believe it's appropriate um, to allow members who are assembled in an evening assembly, a second assembly, to partake of the Lord's Supper and to do so acceptably, uh, is going to require us to get a little bit of background into uh, the Old Testament. Because when we do some studying, we come to find that there's a lot of similarities between the Passover memorial, which was for the Jewish people, God's people, uh, that he chose. And obviously, it's kind of a, a deeper study, but we know that God's people were chosen to preserve uh, the lineage that would ultimately produce the Son of God here on the earth, the Messiah, who would take away the sins not only of the Jews, but the Gentiles alike. But the Passover was a special memorial for the Jews, for them to remember their deliverance from their bondage, physical bondage, when they were in Egypt. And the Lord, through His power, delivered them. And really, when you think about the Lord's Supper, it, it's really quite similar for us, although on a different plane. It's not a physical bondage that we were delivered from, but, but a spiritual bondage. And Jesus... Like the Passover lamb, he is our Passover lamb, shed his blood so that we could be free from sin's captivity. Now think with me uh, as we go through and, and look at some similarities between these two different observances. So, as we said, both were appointed by God for his people. Back in Exodus 12 and verse 14 it talks there how this was for the Jews, for them to observe. We know, uh, as we've studied in Matthew 26 and these other passages, that for us today, um, we are to remember the Lord's death uh, in the way that we have been noticing. 
Both are memorials. Both cause us to remember something very significant, right? Uh, For the Jews, again, it was their deliverance from bondage. And likewise for us, uh, our bondage from sin. Notice again from 1 Corinthians 11, 25, um, we're to remember his body. We're to remember his blood as we partake of these emblems. Both of them utilize unleavened bread. You go back to Exodus 12 and verse 8, and it talks there as it's describing how they were to prepare this lamb. Each household was to prepare its own lamb. Uh, they were to consume that, cook it a very specific way, and they consumed it with unleavened bread. So we see similar emblems are used between the two. Both had a designated time. Now, we've just been talking about how, for us today, there's a a designated day upon which we are to gather together and remember the Lord's death. For the Jews, they were to do it on a specific month, on a specific day. You go back to Exodus 12, and it explains uh, how that all was laid out for them. The 14th day of the first month on their calendar was to be the evening upon which they would have this feast of the Passover. Both required the shedding of blood. Obviously, for the Passover, it was that lamb that was sacrificed, that blemish-free lamb. And they were uh, to put the blood, you remember, over their, uh, their door, on the doorpost and on the lentil. And that was originally, obviously, what the the angel would look for when passing over a particular household. If that blood was there, it would allow that angel of death to pass by. And obviously, as we think about in the New Testament, for us, with the Lord's Supper, it was Christ's own blood that was shed that allows uh, our sins to be atoned for, to be passed over, if you will. Notice in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 6, uh, the same letter that we're considering, or have been considering, as Paul writes to those in Corinth, a little bit earlier on in the letter here, chapter 5, verse 6, he says, Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, since you are truly unleavened. And he's talking about spiritual things here. He's talking about our conduct, our holiness before God. But he says, indeed, Christ, notice our Passover. Christ is talked about as being our Passover. He was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So we see here how we have a type and anti-type, which is common between the New Testament and the Old Testament with these two memorial feasts. Now, the interesting thing, why did we go through all that, you might be wondering. Well, the interesting thing about the Passover, when you go back and study the specific instructions regarding the Passover, the Passover contained a provision for those who could not partake at the regular, normal time. 
It's kind of interesting. Now let's come back here together to the book of Numbers. That dry book that everybody always avoids, right? The book of Numbers. So let's come back to Numbers chapter 9. And we're going to look here uh, beginning in verse 9. And we'll read down through verse 12 there. So it says, The Lord spoke to Moses, and he said, Speak to the children of Israel and say, If any one of you or your posterity is unclean because of a corpse or is far away on a journey, notice he may still keep the Lord's Passover. On the fourteenth day of the second month, so a month after uh, the original observance was to be conducted. He says, At twilight they may keep it, and they shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. In other words, it's to be done exactly the way that it would normally be done. And he says, They shall leave none of it until morning, nor break one of its bones. According to all the ordinances of the Passover, they shall keep it. Now, notice the next couple of verses as well. I actually don't have that on the, the outline there, but notice what he goes on to say. He says, The man who is clean and is not on a journey and ceases to keep the Passover, that same person shall be cut off from among his people because he did not bring the offering of the Lord at its appointed time. That man shall bear his sin. And if a stranger dwells among you and would keep the Lord's Passover, he must do so according to the rite of the Passover, according to its ceremony. You shall have one ordinance both for the stranger and the native of the land. So this provision was not for those who were, you know, uh, if we're going to kind of borrow this uh, provision and, and make an application to uh, the Lord's Day where we would have a second assembly and, and those perhaps who were hindered uh, would partake in the evening. We're not saying that if somebody just slept in because they didn't feel like getting up for the morning assembly, that that, that would be okay with, with God based upon what we read here. But if somebody was truly hindered from observing the Passover, God says, look, there's going to be this second opportunity for you to observe that and do it in the way that is pleasing to me. So, noticing all the correlation that exists between the Passover and the Lord's Supper, it would seem that it makes sense then, if we're going to assemble twice on the Lord's Day, if there would be someone hindered from assembling at that first appointed time, but is able to make it at the second appointed time, they're still meeting those three criteria that we noticed are specified by the Scriptures. It's the right day, it's the right location, they're doing the right or partaking of the right emblems, and doing it obviously with the right intention, then it would seem logical to conclude that that would be acceptable to God. Now, another thing that's interesting when you think about this question, those who would say that it could only be offered at, at one time, on the Lord's Day, would almost seem to suggest that it has to be done simultaneously between every member of, of the church. And when you think about how the Lord's Supper is practically accomplished, we don't all uh, consume the bread at the exact same moment in time, do we? 
We don't all drink of the fruit of the vine at the exact same moment in time. Now, we, we do things orderly uh, based upon the instruction we're given in Scripture. You jump ahead to 1 Corinthians 14, and we find that uh, instruction is very plain. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 40. And also just in what we read there in chapter 11, he's saying, look, don't be you know, having some people coming in and first thing coming up here to observe the Lord's Supper, and then you have other people coming later, you know, do it, wait for one another. That's kind of the meaning of, of what he's saying there. Do this in an orderly way, but still it's not simultaneous. And the interesting thing is, when you think about this idea of the Lord's Supper, and we refer to it as the communion, why do we do that? Well, I'm getting kind of ahead of myself. Let's first come over here to 1 Corinthians 10, 1 Corinthians 10, and, and let's read what Paul wrote. And this is just, again, the preceding chapter to what we'd read earlier. 1 Corinthians 10, verses 16 and 17 there. He says here, The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion? Communion uh, designates as a sharing, okay? It's something that, that brings people together. It's a unity. So he says, Is it not the communion of the blood of Christ, the bread which we break? Is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, though many, we are one bread. We are one body. We are all partakers of that one bread. Now, the interesting thing about this and why I, why I bring this up Think about where Paul was when he was saying these things to those in Corinth. He was some 250 miles across the sea in Ephesus. Yet he's talking about this memorial supper as something that brings them all in communion with one another. Now, when Paul observed the Lord's Supper in Ephesus... Do you think he was doing that at the exact same moment in time on the Lord's Day that those in Corinth had assembled to do so? What about today? We have members of the Lord's body all across the nation, all across the world. We don't all, in sync across the planet, partake at the exact same moment in time, do we? So, the Lord's Supper observance does not require this simultaneous action for us to be still in communion with one another. Uh, to suggest that kind of misses the, the idea that Paul is, is trying to stress there. It's, it's the fact that we all partake in and of itself. That is what binds us and brings us together. We've all been saved by the same sacrifice of Christ, and we all remember that And so, again, I had kind of referenced this earlier, but in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 33, sometimes people say, well, it says there we should wait for one another. Maybe that means we should all do it at the exact same you know, service, and if anybody's not there, well, then tough luck, and they have to wait till next week, right? But I think that when we look at the context of what is being said there in 1 Corinthians 11, uh, Paul said those things because of the really chaotic abuse that was being conducted and practiced by those in Corinth. Again, they were treating it like this meal time, and they were all doing it at different times. There was 
divisions among them. There was no unity in purpose. And so he's telling them, look, don't be like that. Do this in an orderly way. Do this for the right reasons. Make sure you're all uh, focused on the right thing when it is time to partake. So when we look at all these things, I think that we can conclude that the idea of one cup doesn't really uh, doesn't really carry a lot of water when we look at what the scriptures are teaching us regarding the Lord's Supper. And likewise, I feel the same in regards to this idea that we could only have one serving on the Lord's Day. So I hope that you found this study to be beneficial. I think it's rather interesting to dig into some of these things and to think critically about them because it is important that we understand things aright. I have reference there, 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15 tells us to study to show ourselves approved unto God, right? To be workmen that have no need to be ashamed because we're rightly dividing, rightly handling the word of truth. And so it's, it's good for us to exercise ourselves in thinking about these things and thinking about what God's Word tells us about them. This evening, if there's anyone here who has a spiritual need, if you've never obeyed the gospel, never been baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins, now is a wonderful opportunity for you to take that first step into a lifetime of realizing your purpose, realizing hope and meaning in this life. If you're here tonight and you're struggling with something, or maybe you have wandered astray in some way and you need to get back on the right track, we would love to pray with you, pray for you. And so, as we sing this song at this time, if there's anyone here who is in need, we would ask that you would make that need known by expressing it and coming up to the front.